0: hey i'm dr brett and i spend the majority of my time loving on people and helping them become the best versions of themselves think about me as your best friend with a phd it's really the best of both worlds advice with truth backed by research and a whole lot of love sprinkled in We chat about the stuff that can be hard to talk about. Relationships, femininity, sex, self-esteem, health, motherhood, and mindset. My heart in this podcast is to give you a space to listen to topics that matter to you, to help you know what to do about it, and to let you know that you're not alone, no matter what physical or emotional state you showed up to our hangout today. So grab a chair, your coffee, a snuggly blanket, whatever makes you feel most at home with a friend and get ready to go on a journey together. Hey, best friend, this is our podcast.
1: Hey, best friend, it's been a hot minute, not too many hot minutes, but it has been a hot minute. Nonetheless, there's been a lot happening in my life. And what I'm telling you about right now is actually going to uh, move into later. But honestly, I haven't slept so much. I have been doing IVF and all those drugs make you so tired, so tired. I never imagined that I would be that tired. I thought that I would be tired when I was pregnant. You know, eventually, at least, but definitely not. When I was just pumping myself full of drugs, boy, was I wrong. So, today we are going to talk about infertility. A couple weeks ago, it was actually Infertility Awareness Month. uh, If you're listening to this when I recorded it, and some interesting statistics are that it used to be one in eight women dealt with infertility, and then it was, at least now, it is one in six deal with infertility. Now, I could probably hop up on a soapbox or conjecture or get some some doctors or some friends or some nutritionists or some whoever's to really conjecture as to why that is, but nonetheless, those are large statistics so if you're hanging out in a room full of people for every 10 statistically there's at least one but maybe two and so this probably actually impacts a lot more people than you even realize so before i even jump into because i've got some stories to tell you today and uh I could cry, you could cry. Sometimes my listeners tell me that they cry uh when I tell them things, and that makes my heart feel very warm and happy that you care or that you can relate. Uh and also like when you laugh too, when I say things that are funny, at least to myself. My my husband's always like, Brittany, you're funny to yourself, you're not wrong. So in order to receive a diagnosis of infertility, that means that you needed to be having Uh, unprotected sex for about 12 months and if you haven't then it's really time to consult other people and I'm just gonna like throw this in here as a side note because sometimes people have friends who have dealt with infertility and maybe they're not in the season of having babies or not ready to have them yet or still single and they're like oh my gosh I'm gonna deal with that and I just want to tell you don't say that do not say that that you're going to deal with it later because one, your words are powerful and I'll talk about that in a little bit. And two, uh, it it just sets you up for fear of the future of things that haven't even happened. I know someone that was afraid of of that and then they got pregnant right away. So you just really never know. But let me let me get back to um, some interesting things about infertility. Uh, and even the treatment, uh, I live in America, so if you're listening somewhere else, I'm going to talk about American healthcare. So only 19 states, only 19 have mandates some sort of health care for those who have the diagnosis of infertility. And by the way, it is a diagnosis. So let's just think about that, that insurance companies choose not to not to cover or mandate coverage on some capacity of of care for those who are dealing with infertility. Now, on the other hand, and I will not go political with this, but I will say this, that historically there has been the opportunity for people to not have children, so we will help with that, but we won't actually help people have children. So that's like been an interesting dichotomy to me anyways, because we talk about the right to reproductive care. Um, and again, that's a soapbox that I'm not going to go down, but I just want you to recognize, I'm saying this to you to recognize that there is a difference. So then um, I just want you to track with me and then I'm going to get into To i I'm going to tell you a story. Um So then 85 to 90% of these people that do deal with infertility need some sort of drug or surgical procedure to help with whatever the issue is because there's a variety of reasons why people deal with infertility. And then this is an I'm in this boat. Only 3% of people get to IVF. And maybe that's because only 3% of those people need it. Maybe it's because people can't afford it, uh, because, uh, to be real honest, cause you're my best friend. I have uh, in my infertility journey, um, my husband and I have spent over a hundred thousand dollars trying to have children. Now about 50% of that was on IVF. Um, about 25% of that was, uh IVF uh a different form of IVF IUI's uh some other treatments and then and I will credit that we did not personally mostly provide this part so maybe I should say 75 ish and not a 100 but I really want you to recognize the cost of this that we had people in our life which was amazing that believed in me and Josh believed that we would make for great parents and so um They give, they gave about 25,000 collectively, all these different people towards us uh, adopting our daughter, which is amazing. And I'll talk about that in a little bit, although that is not the focus of this, this topic. So I just want you to really recognize that if you do not have insurance, it is out, out of the realm for a lot of people. And Josh and I busted our butts to make it happen because I'm getting older, I'm 35. I turned 36 in a couple of months. And by the way, just to like add insult to injury. um, And y'all, I want you to know that I'm not saying this with like a bunch of offense in my heart, although this is an offensive statement. And if you could see my face, you would know that like, I'm smiling as I say this. I think that's the only thing I can do currently is um, if you have a baby over 35, It's considered a geriatric pregnancy. Can we just talk about how offensive that is? So anyways, there's all of these things that happen in this process. And I just want you to recognize that 3% of people end up at IVF for a variety of reasons, whether that's the next step, whether there's finances to that, whatever it is. So let me tell you, let me tell you my story. And I am in I'm in the midst of my story as I tell you this story. So I don't know. I've, I don't know what emotions might come up. Uh, They could surprise me or not. We'll see. So recently, well, let me recently, let me go back. Y'all I'm recording this in the morning. I'm being really real with you. I'm recording this in the morning because I've just been so tired lately. I get to the nighttime and I am like, I can't record my podcast right now. So When Josh and I got married, which I was 27, that's right, 26. Yeah, I was 26, turning 27. We knew that we wanted to have a really big family. I've always wanted a really big family. I nannied for five kids for a while, and I was like, oh, five kids would be amazing. Maybe that's too much till four. (laughs) Like, what difference does it make at that point, honestly? So... Uh, we got married in June and we started trying to have children in November and we were super poor. If you ever hear us talk about that season, we were so poor, but we knew that we wanted to have a family. So we knew deep, deep, deep in in our discussions and our hearts. And I knew that Josh would be an absolute amazing daddy. And in my own heart, I have always loved children, wanted to have, like I said, I wanted to have a bunch, and I felt like I would be a really great mama. So a year rolled around, and we saw an infertility doctor, and at that time, they said, you just have unexplained infertility. We don't know why. That's the unexplained part. We don't know why. And Uh, that is the really, that's like, it's so confusing, especially to somebody like me who is like, give me an answer. Why can I not get pregnant? I'm doing the thing. And so then I would tell you even, and I think about my, my journey and, and by the way, some of these are going to be, it's not going to be necessarily like exactly chronological or how it happened or in this year, because some of that, I just have chosen not to save in my brain. But I do remember that of all the years, years two and three were the most painful. They were the most painful because I deeply, like I said, wanted to be a mom and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me and why it wasn't happening. And, um, there was a, there was just a lot of pain. I can think of a very specific instance, you know, and I've been doing things in faith since I, since, since we were trying to have babies. I was just like, all right, well, all right, this, we're having a hard time or this is a really hard day for me. Then I would go out and I would buy a baby thing in faith that that baby was coming. And one time we were at Costco and I bought this giant lamb and I wish I wish I had a picture of it. I I don't think I do maybe it's saved in my phone somewhere. But I bought this giant lamb and uh it was in our guest bedroom and I had this giant lamb in there and I was just curled up sobbing. Like again, you know the you know the grow the sobbing where like your nose is crying too and you're snotting absolutely everywhere and it is so gross that's what was happening to me. I was crying out of my nose, just crying to God, asking questions, wondering why, trying, you know, trying to find answers, but like, just like, you can't breathe. You're just crying so hard and asking, asking God to see you, asking God to see you. And that has been a hard road in and of itself because I know God sees me I know God answers prayers and why hasn't he why hasn't he answered my prayer well God has answered my prayer in in some kind of way so um in in the process and the next so from visiting an infertility doctor to about four years in give or take. Josh and I did multiple IUIs, and those are called uh, intrauterine insemination, literally take some drugs, they take Josh's semen, and they inject it in, and they help, they let those little semen find their way, those little spermies find their way to the egg, but they've given you a bunch of drugs to help your eggs grow well. Anyways, we did about four of those, I think one of them worked. And when I say one of them worked, one of them resulted in a pregnancy, I saw those beautiful lines, uh, those beautiful coveted pink lines. Like if you've never struggled with infertility, you have no idea. I, you get, I'm sure that you get excited, but if you've never struggled with infertility, you don't know what it means to see those those lines y'all in, in my history, this is like sort of embarrassing for me to say, but I'm going to say it anyways. I've probably peed on over a thousand pregnancy tests uh, at least because saying, all right, this is it. This is the month it's happening. I know it's in there. So anyways, uh, we finally, we finally did it. And then shortly after that, I was six and a half weeks pregnant. Right before we should be able to hear the heartbeat, I had a miscarriage and it wrecked me. It wrecked me. I was like, oh my goodness. You know, you think all this time and, and we're years in at this point, all this time it finally happened and then we lost it. And that was horrific. That was, that was a horrific time one, I would not want to relive uh, just in my own mindset and the things that I was dealing with. It was just painful. Suffering is painful because we ask ourselves why and we don't know the answers to why. So after that, uh, about a year or so, Josh and I did, we went to Mexico because we were poor. We were so poor. It was fine though. We wanted to grow our family. And so we went to Mexico don't worry. It was safe. Anybody that's listening, that's like, I can't believe you did that. It was safe. It was, you know, a relatively safe area. I had a driver. If I was ever by myself, there was a driver from the clinic, anybody that's freaking out. Um, so we did the process and things were going well, but also, my eggs were struggling to grow. This has been an age old problem for me where doctors, because I have PCOS are like terrified that I will make way too many babies. So they are low on drugs and then they have to push them at the end, which, uh, now I know impacts egg quality, but I didn't know then. So, and by the way, I was in a Facebook group. I'd seen like a bazillion different doctors, uh, get, uh, help this, Uh, help people get pregnant. So I was like, cool, this is, it's going to work. Anyways, lo and behold, we did retrieve about 10 eggs, eight fertilized, none made it. Absolutely none. None made it. And that means that the embryos are rested along the way. They stopped growing. They really weren't good quality. And I was devastated now my doctor had a plan. He had already he knew what we would do next time and I was actually on my way to Mexico to do IVF a second time. When I felt Holy Spirit and and if, you know, you don't align with that, that's that's just going to be my language. Um but you may say intuition or whatever, but for me that's truly Holy Spirit I felt. The Holy Spirit tell me um that I can't go, that it wasn't the time and I'm on my way. I'm driving to the, to, um, the clinic from Dallas and I turn around and I turn around and I, I, well, I call Josh and I just tell him I can't go and why. And I turn around and I come home and, uh, that was and so something happened in July. That was in August and I not, long after that, I was like, okay, it's time for us to adopt. Josh and I'd always talked about adopting. Now we thought that we would adopt after biological babies. That's just how we thought it would go down. But you know, my plans never seem to go according to plan. I don't know if anybody else can relate with that, but mine never seemed to go according to plan. So uh, I reached out to a friend because we decided it was time to adopt and she worked at a local agency and I was just asking questions and uh, I felt like we needed to to move quickly, but they didn't have, they were done with their fall, uh, they were done with their fall orientations and their next one wasn't going to be until the spring. And I was like, okay, well, I definitely want to go through an ethical agency and I know I can trust this place and blah, blah, blah. Well, not that, I think a week or two after my friend calls me and says, Hey Brittany, uh, something bit wild happened where all of, you know, all of our waiting parents essentially got snatched up. We had kind of an influx of, of wait mamas, um, coming in looking for families. So we're having to do sort of an emergency essentially, um, orientation to make, is to fill our families back up. Okay. So Josh and I did that in November and I, and I couldn't really explain it to you. And I'm not going to spend as much time on the adoption story because it's not the purpose of this, but I felt like it was fast. I felt like we, we needed to do whatever it was fast. I just kept saying, I don't know why I can't explain it. I just know that we need to finish our stuff as quickly as possible. And for most people, it takes them six months to do the home study process, to read all the books, to do all the paperwork. Like it's very entailed. We did it in two months we crazy town. Okay. If you haven't figured it out about me when I want something, I go after it, which by the way, I encourage you in life. Life is too short to just sit on your bum and hope something is going to happen for you. As part of why I'm doing IVF now is because I believe that we have the technology, we have the resources, we have the things that we can say, okay, I'm pursuing that. Anyways, back to my story. So we home study approved in uh, January same, same breath or the, yeah, end of January, beginning of February, because we did our home study in January, I completed it. So uh, in the same breath that they told us we were approved, they also told us that they had a mama that was going they were going to show our profile book too, in the same week, in the same week. That mama said that she did not want to meet any other families. She only wanted to meet us. Then she found me on Facebook. This is a crazy story. I need to actually just do a podcast probably on adoption and have my friend on it. But anyways, so she reached out to me. Lo and behold, we now have a daughter. So I uh there's this story is magical. I will tell this story on my podcast. The story is magical. Um for us, I, I know that there's a lot of pain that comes for Uh, First mamas, birth mamas. And so, anyways, that side note. So, I'm going to come back to that story later, but that having the adoption is a part of our infertility journey. So, our daughter has, she's four now, she's continued to get older and cuter and spunkier and sassier and sweet. And she'll look at me like two nights ago. I put her to bed. Well, and she did it the next morning too. She goes, I'm, yeah, I'm getting ready in my bathroom and she's sitting on the couch in my bedroom and she goes, mama. And I'm like, yes, baby. And she goes, I got to tell you something. So I walk out of my bathroom and I'm standing on my beds in between. She's sitting in the couch and she goes, who made you my special mama? That's what she says to me. I'm like, "Hmm, God. She's like, that's right. God made you my special mama. So if that isn't a really special girl, y'all, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know. So back to the infertility journey. I have, it just wasn't the right time. I have a bunch of student loans. We had some things going on in our life and it just wasn't, it was honestly just wasn't the right time. And so Josh and I can end COVID. <laughs> so Josh and I continued the process. We continued doing our part, praying, believing, you know, this you may judge me if you hear this, but like I'm just telling you the truth. So Josh and I have even had sex before. <laughs> and now I was like, all right, put your hands on my belly, pray, like, pray, um, because we're believing. And and by the way, I, I this is a part of the process that I haven't talked about, and I'm I'm only gonna really cover it very briefly, but during the process too, people can really begin to feel uninterested in sex, like their their bodies are just for one purpose. And, um, or you just want, you just want me for this one reason. And I know guys feel like that often a lot. And so as women, if you're dealing with this, you need to be really aware of that. If you have friends that are dealing with this, love on them, check on them, ask them, ask them how their sex life is because it can really take a toll. And it did on me and Josh, especially in the beginning, we really had to fight Uh, praise the Lord. It's not like that anymore, but we really had to fight for that. We had to fight to not lose the, the, the romance, the excitement, the good part of our marriage in that way. Anyways, that, that great part. And so, but there were times when he would just lay his hands on my belly and just go, okay, like, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's believe like, and it was always in faith, just praying in faith that it would happen. So anyways, finally we get to this place. Uh, we actually plan to do IVF, uh, what a year, almost two years ago at this point. But we found out that Josh's sperm count was like, you know, nothing. He did a, an analysis and he had five, five good ones. So if you want to think about why we haven't been getting pregnant, well, five. So we, yeah, I took some drugs he got off testosterone and josh wasn't just on testosterone to like be a beefcake He was on testosterone because he has like old man testosterone which is very sad. So it was something that he needed to be on and so in those two years also Josh really fought fatigue and weight gain and all these other things these things that impact His side of this Anyways, so We finally get to this place where we're ready to do it And thankfully the, uh, we brought the finances in to make it happen again, because I mentioned to you annoyingly that it is insanely expensive. I'm in a IVF group essentially. And just as a side note, I saw a dentist, like a, you know, a dentist, a medical practitioner that was like, Hey, you know, if you're really struggling with finances, because you know, medical professionals have a Boatload of student loans, kind of like PhDs. I think they might have more than me, but like kind of like that. She was like, Hey, go get a job at Tractor Supply. Their benefits kick in after 30 days, and you only have to work there 10 hours a week. So, this woman, a professional, a dentist, went and got a job at Tractor Supply so she could have benefits in order to get IVF. Genius. (laughs) There's part of me that's like, You know, I wish I'd known that. But I want you to think about these people are doing wild things. And like, I totally honor that, that she wasn't like uh, too prideful or above doing something like that so she could have those benefits. And I want you to think about even the struggle with that for people that don't work at a place that, that cover that. Like I mentioned, only 19 states mandate some form, but some form doesn't mean fully covered IVF or things like that. Anywho. So here we are. Josh and I just we did we did a retrieval process which I walked around looking pregnant <laughs> for like a month, all the drugs just do wild things. I have pictures of like my belly where you look down and you would would go, Oh man, I think there's a baby in there, but there is no baby in there. And then just the drugs, all the drugs along the way, just make you like bloated and gross. And you know, honestly, like between me and you, and I don't mean this in a self-deprecating way, but I've put on a ton of weight because of being on, being on the drugs and just feeling bad and like what food does my body even want to eat and everything, like everything, Gave me heartburn. My poor clients would just watch me pop these like little ginger mints in our sessions because I just had ongoing heartburn. So, just there's this huge part of this this difficulty. So we get there, we do the retrieval. We had twenty nine eggs retrieved, which like freaked my husband out. And then twenty three of those fertilized. If I'm remembering the numbers correctly, it's in the morning. I've been off caffeine. Oh, I'm getting caffeine today. Um, so it's, we've been, with um, 23 fertilized. Then it was 10 made it to blast, which is amazing. I want you to remember, none of mine made it to blast last time. Not, and that's five days. So none of mine made it last time. So this time they did. And then of those, we had four come back normal and one come back inconclusive. And we're going to retest that little inconclusive a uh, little boy or a little girl—I don't know what it is—but we're gonna retest it. So then, after your retrieval, you have about six weeks, at least. If you go right into um, and at my clinic, it could be different at other clinics. But from my clinic, we go—you go from transfer six weeks into. Um, excuse me, we go from retrieval six weeks right into transfer, and in those six weeks, I was visualizing. I was. Praying, I was. I mean, I've I like I've been I've been nesting in my own home, going. There's a baby coming. I've been reorgan. I'm a busy woman, so I'm. And that's not a badge of honor. Um, but I've been reorganizing my house. I'm just like you know, it's gonna happen fast. And anyways, so we get to transfer, doing all the things, taking my medications, doing stuff like I'm supposed to. Everything. All my my lining was good. My numbers were good. Everything was good. Then our, this is the first time I'm actually saying this, uh, our little boy embryo was absolutely perfect. Top grade. Um, it even thawed at a hundred percent because when embryos thaw, they can lose some of their quality. Didn't thawed at 100%. Now CCRM, which is where I go in Colorado, they do have one of the best embryology clinics, the best, I shouldn't say one of the best. They are the best leading researcher and they've come out with things called like embryo glue, like just crazy stuff. Anyways, so I feel like I'm all over the map this morning. Please just, uh, listener, I'm talking to you like you're my best friend. So just stay with me. So anyways, everything, and uh, everything went as planned. I did my bed rest like I'm supposed to just Chilled. And believing in faith, peeing on some sticks, things kept coming back negative and negative and negative. And then you get to a point where like in your body, I just knew, I knew it didn't work. I felt pregnant for about five days and on day six, I didn't feel it anymore. and Which is very weird because that's like, I mean... Embryos are like the the piece of like a piece of sugar or salt, like sawdust. They're tiny, but I I was still being pumped full of hormones, but I didn't feel it anymore. But I also kept believing in faith that it was coming and it was coming. But um, people do get late pregnancy tests, but really after day six or so, maybe day seven, if you're like feeling you know froggy, your your transfer failed and. So I'm sitting in front of you. Yep, yeah, those tears are coming. I'm sitting in front of you right now, telling you that my transfer failed, and that that is a part of infertility. And I knew it. I cried. Uh, I cried myself to sleep. What was it? Um, night six. I just. And, you know, my husband is so wonderful and he held me and he's, you know, still believing with me and I'm, I'm still believing. I'm like, in in spite of the, the negative test, I'm still believing. I'm still believing, but also like just this weird intuition thing that you have, I think as a woman. And so that that's such a balance of like, have the intuition, but like, I hope I'm wrong. I'm believing that I'm wrong. I'm praying that I'm wrong. And so anyways, I cried myself to sleep on it was Sunday night and this is Wednesday. And then Monday I like, I was putting my daughter's clothes up and I'm listening to worship music and I'm still praising God in the midst of like knowing that it didn't work, which is like insanely painful knowing that it didn't work. And and I don't have all the questions of like, why not? I mean, I want to understand why so we can make sure it doesn't happen again, you know, because who doesn't, want to have what they're searching for. So, and then I ended up in my bedroom after I put up all my daughter's clothes and my husband actually came in there not knowing, um, to help hang up the clothes that were laying on our bed, which is why I went in there and I'm on my knees and I am like sobbing again, those gross tears, those ones where your nose cries, and your eyes are you know your, my eyes are crying they're just i can't my 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 nose crying i'm snotting everywhere it is insanely gross and he, he just holds me and i'm like singing worship song. I'm like, this might not connect with you if you don't, if you're not a Christian or you don't believe in God, like that might, this might not connect with you, but I hope that you can hear the pain. I hope you can hear the pain and recognize at least like, see that, that know that people that deal with this feel that level of pain. And so I'm just crying and snotting and He's just holding me and I can barely sing the words because I'm, I'm still affirming, honestly, the goodness of my God in the midst of things that I don't understand. Because I don't understand this. I I don't, I wish I did. I wish that I could tell you that I knew God's plan, but I, I don't. And so. In the midst of that, and by the way, could some sort of, I go get my beta test today, which I, this is going to seem dramatic. Beta is just a blood test that that, um, doctors do to confirm because they want to make sure that um, your numbers are doubling how they're supposed to. And regardless of negative tests, you still go get a beta. So I go get my beta today. And this is going to sound dramatic, but this is what I said to my husband. I told him that, I was like, I feel like I'm um, going to the coroner's office to confirm That somebody that I already know is dead is dead. Like, that's how it feels to me. Best friend, you're getting the real best friend version of me today. There is pain that comes with infertility. And by the way, if you've ever wanted anything, if you've ever believed for anything and it hasn't happened yet, you feel probably that level of pain. You feel that level of pain. So my transfer failed, <clears throat> and at this current moment, I don't know. We have more uh, we have more little embryos, so we're definitely going to we're gonna try again, and I don't know when and I don't know if things are gonna change or my protocol or my process or whatever that is. I, I don't know any of those answers. I do know we're gonna try again. Of course, we're going to try again. We're going to use all of them anyways. I just don't know when. And so I sit here in front of you with you saying, I know some of you have felt deep pain in your life. And if you have friends that are dealing with infertility, I want you to know that this is a part of that deep pain. And I I sat with clients who are believing for things. And I said, "This this is important for you. I'm not. This is important for you. You have to believe like it's going to happen. I said, logically, I know. I know that the transfer could fail. I know logically that 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 is an option. But I refuse to consider that as an option. Now then what does that mean? That means that if it fails, that the pain is going to be a lot deeper because I allowed myself to have hope i allowed myself to have faith i allowed myself to speak into it like it was already happening he had a he has a name i allowed myself to speak into it like it was happening already and i don't regret that I don't regret that because I believe that your mind is powerful. I believe that our words are powerful and that's exactly what I'm supposed to do. But people don't do those things because they're terrified of the pain. I am not dying. I will not die. And no matter what you're going through, you will not die either. You will not die either. Uh, and and I go, and my brain goes, yeah, Brittany, somebody could be facing fatal illness. Okay hear what I'm saying. People are terrified of pain, terrified of, but if I hope and it doesn't work out, then I'm going to feel depressed or whatever. You're going to feel that way anyways. You might uh, might as well allow yourself to have hope, to have faith, to have belief because that's way better for your body and it's way better for your brain than anything else. So I don't regret it. So I hope that you hear in me, I hope that you hear the sadness because it's a part of it. The suffering is a part of it. You know, yesterday, because I've been really public with this, I felt like I was supposed to for whatever reason. I had a client ask me like, oh, it's your blood, like when's your blood test? And like, oh, that's so exciting. Knowing and internally that it didn't work. I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm, because I just wasn't ready to talk about it then. I wasn't ready to talk about it then, and this morning I saw it come through as a as a um, text message, and my one of my friends was like, can't wait for the confirmation of baby Lashua as I'm recording this podcast. So if you're in the place where you're dealing with infertility, if you're in the place where you're believing for something, I encourage you, I don't regret it. You have to have faith. I hope you have faith in God. But you need to have faith. You have to pray and believe. You have to. Now you go, well, Brittany, that didn't work very well for you. It hasn't yet. I don't know why. But there's lots of things that I've prayed for that have come to pass. This one is just another one in the waiting. And I don't know why. I thought actually my infertility podcast was going to sound very different than this one. Uh, Not not very different. The content would probably be somewhat similar, but different. The tone would be different. Your language, your language about it has to be different. I don't use the words never. I don't, I don't use, I don't walk around saying I'm depressed. I am sad AF. (laughs) (laughs) I am so sad. And I also have to allow myself to feel the sadness. I'm not afraid of it. It won't take me out. It won't take me over. Just like it won't for you, you just have to allow yourself to to have it. What people don't realize is that emotions are like a wave. They come up, and if we ride the wave, then the wave goes down. But what happens is people are like, oh, I can't have sadness or I can't feel it. So they hit the peak of the wave and they push it down, and then they can't have it. And it gets trapped in their body. Well, friend, you must allow the sadness to be there. My sadness is here. It's not the same level today as it was yesterday. Could be more later. I'm not really sure. But it it is not the same level of sadness. So you have to be so mindful of your language that you're speaking positive into what you want, into what's coming, into uh, who you are. You have to focus on what you don't want. Human nature does a really solid job of focusing on what we don't want, but we have to focus on what we do want. We have to focus on what we do want. So I will honor the loss. I will honor the life. I will honor my feelings in it. And my husband's, I will honor all of those things, but I'm not going to focus on what isn't going to focus on what is because truly, genuinely, I am going to carry a baby to term. When, how, I don't know, but I'm going to, and you will not hear me say that it won't happen. It just hasn't happened yet. So if you're believing for something yet, just hasn't happened yet you must allow yourself to feel I know I already said it but I'm just saying it again you must allow yourself to feel I was at a friend's house yesterday kids had a play night my friend goes how you feel and they're like expecting me to be like pregnant or excited and because that was my answer at first is when people were talking to me I'm like I feel pregnant like that and that was my proclamation. Again, the power of my words. But then because I knew that I could be honest and real and safe, I could say sad. Sad. Now they still encouraged me, they still prayed for me. They said, We're still believing. And I said, You believe. You believe. I'll take your belief. And you need to find a loved one or loved ones. I don't know what your life looks like to share your burden with, your suffering burden. You need to share it with, with, it doesn't have to be the whole world. I don't think the whole world can carry your suffering burden, nor could they carry it well. Internet trolls are a real thing and they're mean. <laughs> and But you need to have people that you can carry it with well. So, friend, I was so honest and real with you today. That infertility brings suffering, infertility brings pain, infertility says that something is wrong with me, something's wrong with my body. There were times when I said I felt betrayed by my body. I don't use that language anymore, but those are the real feelings. So if you have a friend in your life that's dealing with this, don't feel like you have to have the right words yesterday, my friend said, there are no right words here. I wish I had them, but I don't. And there are none. And I was like, indeed, there are none. And I so appreciated the fact that she just met me in the place that there are no right words for this. Because no one can take away the pain. It's not anybody's job. It's no one's responsibility. It's not your responsibility to take away your friend's pain or your family member's pain. It's just your job to be with. and. My friends that have the ability to just be with are the ones that I most appreciate because they're not trying to fix it. So I encourage you to be that kind of friend, the friend that doesn't try to fix it. So as per my usual, I want to leave you with some questions. And they may not apply to all of you and they may they may i don't know what thing in your life that's causing suffering do you need to change your language over what thing in your life that's causing suffering do you need to change your language over how can you begin to focus on what you want not what you don't what do you need to allow yourself to feel that you've blocked the feeling on? And who can you share your suffering with? And five, this is not a question, but if you have a friend dealing with with suffering today in some way, this podcast is particularly about infertility, send them some love. Send them some love. Hug them. Pray for them encourage them. I don't know. Send them some Tiff treats, whatever. That was a non-paid advertisement.
0: <laughs>
1: I'm funny to myself. So friends, thanks for being with me today. Thanks for allowing me to be real. Um, that was my commitment on this podcast was that I was going to be real. I was going to talk to you like you're my friend. You're truly my best friend and I want you to feel that. So until next time. And by the way, next episode will be coming out next Tuesday. So it'll be really soon. It's going to be a mother's day episode with my mom. And I'm really excited about that because she's an amazing woman. So until next Tuesday,
0: I'll see you later.
1: Hey, best friend newsflash. I want to know you. And in order for me to know you, You have to come find me on Facebook and Instagram. I want to connect with you. I want to know what's happening in your life, how these podcasts are connecting with who you are as a person. I want to hear about some of the pain points and things that you're struggling with. It honestly helps me know what it is that you need to hear from me on these podcasts, and it helps me connect with you even more you're so important to me what's going on with you is important to me even though we may be far away or miles away we sort of just feel like a big family to me and by the way if you would like more of a personal touch go find me on youtube you can actually watch these watch me
0: with my guests so it's like you're there in in an even bigger way so i want to know you moral of the story come find me